in the name of the Holy One who holds us and our future. Amen. 2020 is historic for many reasons. Perhaps less celebrated are the ubiquitous lawn signs you can glimpse any day in our city, just as surely as throughout the state of Georgia. Exclamations like, what a year it's been this week, stand alongside kindness credos, noteworthy, not notorious. Even Episcopeeps have gotten in the game with hashtag love your neighbor midtown mantras. Proper nouns have morphed into gerunds. Rebus puzzles tempt brains to imagistic wordplay. Such declarations are more than simple diversion. Signs of our times, they beg us to attend to those dueling commitments and values in contemporary society. Because certain trouble surely arises whenever the way I see it shouts past or denigrates another, prioritizing some over others in ways that damage the common good. One standing conversation showcased on adjacent lawns of one Ainsley Park block goes like this. Sign reads, our future flies with pollinators. Inches away, another neighbor proudly advertises for a local pest control company. Happy pollinators don't sting repeatedly like other winged pests. Chubby carpenter and honeybees are far more welcome in my garden than angrier compatriots like yellow jackets, wasps, and hornets. Whatever bees, bats, butterflies, or beetles do for you, a hopeful vision of our future still may differ between us. But belonging to God's creaturely collective surely invites us to stay connected as we move forward in our planetary orbit together. In 2006, the USDA acknowledged significant annual declines in honeybee colonies, a phenomenon scientists came to call colony collapse disorder or CCD. CCD flags rapid, unexpected bee loss within a hive as worker bee populations disappear, leaving behind the queen, young bees, and a significant reserve of honey. But without those workers, the hives cannot sustain themselves and eventually will die. Researchers are exploring the effects of pathogens parasites, pesticides, and environmental stressors when it comes to this dysfunction. Connections do exist. Since the National Conference of State Legislatures measured a 12% decline in the honeybee population between 2012 and 2017, 28 states have chosen to pass legislation to address this threat to our ecological health, our food system, and our national economy. That's a fair share of Americans wanting fruits and veggies to stick around, just like I do. Today's vignette from the Book of Judges marks a season in the life of ancient Israel, decades into their residency in that promised land said to be flowing with milk and honey. This is the 
only Sunday in any liturgical year where we hear stories in church from the book of Judges. And this pithy text stands apart, humming with energy that begs investigation. The cycles of sin, punishment, and deliverance that drone on in the years of Israel's judges have everything to do with that infamous eye trouble. Disasters foretold didn't warn them off from worshiping false gods for very long, you see. The people's robust pledges of allegiance, we heard some of those in last week's Old Testament reading, well, those have long since faded out. The land now abuzz with darker woes. Suffering afflicts the whole nation, which has devolved into chaos as everyone does what is right in their own eyes. That refrain repeats throughout these stories of disconnection, disruption, and demoralization. The people dishonor God's covenant with them, despite his faithfulness delivering them out of slavery in Egypt. The bottom line of this entire book in the Bible is that nobody does what is right. In case you were looking for that too long, didn't read summary. What seems right in my eyes often leads to suffering, turns out, and not just for myself. Sin, you see, is like quicksand. It's hard to steer clear of and even harder to escape once you're in it. And we all gotta live with its consequential sting. Despite their persistent death wish, as the people worship whatever they choose on any given day, God raises up one leader after another to save Israel from demise. We could get a little bored by this rinse and repeat cycle, except today we get that unique story of the only female judge in Israel's recorded history. Deborah wears her authority with queenly pose and poise. On a hillside, under the date palm tree, an open-air seat of authority where all and any may gather, Deborah holds court in Israel. Amid the terror of those times, she reassures them God will break that oppressive iron fist of Sisera, King Jabin's cutthroat Canaanite army commander. In the Hebrew language, Deborah's name means bee, and this queen bee restores order to that unholy hive, pointing them back to the Torah, teaching them again what it means to walk in God's ways, everyone together. Deborah dispenses medicine to her people, the only healing power that could possibly save them. That truth of God's law and order revealed in the overarching ethic of love. Yes, love in those great commandments where relationships only ever survive and thrive when they are rooted and grounded in God's goodness. Had Israel clung to that law of love in the first place, the nation never would have kissed away that precious sweetness to which the psalmist testifies. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether, sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. 
For years, I've found local honey as an able antidote to seasonal allergies, but I'd not really thoroughly appreciated honey's significance in the ancient Near Eastern world. Archaeologist Gil Stein, director of the Oriental Institute at the University of Chicago, is a beekeeper in addition to a professor. Stein's excavations at Hassanevi, a Mesopotamia colony in Turkey that was part of the world's first colonial system, illustrates how Anatolian bees were imported to diverse places throughout the Iron Age, including the Jordan River Valley in northern Israel. Honey's worth then as now is precious, not simply good for food and sweetening or an ingredient for fermenting beverages like mead and honey wine, but also in medicines because of its antimicrobial and antibiotic properties as well as its power to heal burns. Honey was even employed in mummification and graced the graves of kings of Egypt, where beekeeping was first attested in the ancient Near East. Beyond magically harvesting such bee food for human use, beekeepers the world over note the complex social hierarchy of bees. For these creatures, the unit is not the individual but rather the collective. Now, even if pollinators haven't made it on your radar and lawn signs are just one more aspect of 2020 you can't wait to dismiss in a matter of weeks, I'm willing to bet the collective good has featured somewhere in your present commitments and personal values, even before you consider our communal prayer life here at All Saints. As you heard in prayers of the people today, 2020's sting of death hasn't gone anywhere. Adding to such grief for our dearly departed was the passing of another gentle global leader for whom we are the poorer in his loss. Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, former chief rabbi of the United Kingdom, died a week ago yesterday. May his memory be a blessing. Early in the pandemic, Sachs's live-screened Dereshot comforted many with homiletical wisdom, myself included. Often praised for his work on the dignity of difference, Sachs's final book was published this September. Morality, Restoring the Common Good in Divided Times, expounds Sachs's idea showcased in his 2017 TED Talk called How We Can Face the Future Without Fear together. Sachs writes with hope and courage about the I-thou of fellowship and community he believes will reverse what he calls the cultural climate change in contemporary society, where life tends to be organized around an I more so than the we. Ancient Israel wasn't alone in struggling persistent problems attributable to eye trouble. Sachs's book is well worth your time, especially if you are discerning ways to renew your own faith commitments as we live through this clarifying season in our nation's history. Our baptismal promises to seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving God perhaps most fully when we love our neighbors as ourselves, these promises confirm that our journey 
is not one we make alone. Such a covenant pledges each of us to order our lives by that greatest commandment by which Jesus himself lived and died faithfully. Moral renewal in our time, as Sachs denotes, will never successfully be legislated by any government. It will, however, involve each of us choosing to die to self as we work to honor one another, sacrificing so that all yet may flourish. More than lawn signs will be needed to stir our passion to engage the difficult work ahead as we dare to live with hope for this human hive rather than succumbing to a collective nightmare devastated by fear-charged warring values. Deborah's story of deliverance lifts up God's law of love as the only sure defense against every fear that clouds our vision, now as in those days of old. Ordering personal attitudes and communal actions under such an ethic of love both humbles and uplifts us, rooting us in the God-given dignity of our interrelatedness, where the healing hum of grace can transform us and our world. May we surrender to the mercy and justice of the Holy One, who dismantles these fears that dominate our public life and frees us for our life-affirming planetary mission. No matter how isolated, disconnected or disenchanted, we may find ourselves amid this yet unfinished historic year. May God's love be that only law by which we order our commitments, our values, and our behavior now and always. Amen.